trying to make it right These people won't let me go I'm just trying to live my life I just need space to grow I'm just trying to make it right These people won't let me go Let me grow, let me go Let me grow, let me go They should know, they should know They should know, they should know I'm just trying to live my life I just need space to grow I'm just trying to make it right These people won't let me go Welcome to the Tea with Bree. I'm your host, Bree. Thanks for listening. The Tea with Bree podcast is focused on deep, honest, and vulnerable conversation. Each week, I sit down with a different guest in order to have those conversations. Every week, we'll start with my guest's bio, an intro into how we know each other, and then we'll go into a deep dive conversation about whatever topic they brought to me that week. This week, I'm joined by my guest, David Shabani. Born to Congolese parents in Paris, Shabani immigrated to Canada before launching into alternative hip-hop artistry in Texas. His lyrics are unflinching and direct, exploring politics and social justice in a way that leaves audiences breathless. But with every song, Shabani comes to remind us about love and hope for the nine-to-fivers, the immigrants, and the travelers reflecting on our place in the world. Influenced by Kid Cudi, Kay Trinadia, Lube Fiasco, and Childish Gambino, Shabani identifies with the outsiders of hip hop, but has his own way of blending gripping stories with high energy backbeats that work double time. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for chatting with me this morning. Um, when I when you reached out to be on the show, I was like, absolutely. Um, I first got into you maybe like a month ago. You played at an event my friend took me to at... Oh my God, what was it? Is on the east side. I can't remember the name. Oh, uh, Jazz Queen. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah that's cool. That's yeah. uh, that's kind of an open mic. So. Yeah, you did an open mic there. And I was like, oh my God, you were you were so good. So I'm just like jazzed to chat with you today. Um, yeah, I know that you wanted to chat a little bit about today about your music influence being here in Austin. I think your music is very interested, interesting, especially living here in Austin um, and seeing, for me, I've been here almost six years and seeing the landscape of Austin really change. Um, and I think that comes a lot from the music scene with us being like the live music capital of the world. So yeah, give us a little bit of your background and like how you got into, into this. Yeah, I mean, I... Uh... It's interesting because you know I, I I I feel like when I speak, I end up mentioning many different places like you know Congo, France, Canada, uh, but uh, my the majority of my upbringing, my real upbringing has has been in Dallas, Texas. So uh, I have been in Texas for a long time, um, but I did move to Austin um, in in pursuit of a music career. You know, so I, I thought that maybe it would be a better environment to uh, you know get exposure and play often and get seen at events like the event you you mentioned you know like uh, things like that is how you can I guess uh, create a new crowd and fan base and all that you know all that 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 whole blueprint and so um, similar to you I've been here for about six years almost seven years um, and I've been doing a lot of music you know I've been here for a while I, I since I've lived here I've released 
I think maybe four albums. So that's wow. sounds like a lot. <laughs> and so, uh, I mean, I guess four albums in seven years is not crazy for some people, but yeah. I feel, so, like, I feel um, like it is. Yeah. Okay, so I guess it, it shows different stages of my time here. Um, so I do feel like uh, even though I did do music, when I was in college, um, and of course, you know, when I was younger, of course, but I, I started getting serious post-college. Um, I do feel like you can choose the starting point of this music career from the time when I moved to Austin. And I do feel, I also feel like I've gotten into a new, I don't know how to express it, but a new phase in my career. Um, uh, honestly, since 2020, since the pandemic, things have changed in many different ways. Um, some things might be for the better, some things of course have been worse. Um, and so I do think that uh, I, it's almost as if, even though I've lived in many different places and I have many different, how do you say, it, many different influences. Um, my time in Austin, I feel like every year that goes by when I'm living here, I do feel like it's been, you know, a year where you can decide like, this is when your career started. Um, you know, so uh, it's it's interesting watching Austin grow as a city and change. And then at the same time, the parallel of my music career, almost watching it grow and it change and expand and, um, you know, see new heights and all that. So it is interesting um, being in this particular music environment. Yeah. How old are you now? Um, 32. I honestly forget my age. It's okay. I'm not going to lie. But yeah, it's I'm 32. Okay. Okay, so I know you started like writing lyrics at like 10 or 11. And so it's like over 20 years of doing this and like harnessing your craft. And then, you know, like you're saying, being very intentional and strategic over the last seven years here in Austin. I guess my first question is, what has that shift looked like? Because, I mean, we have to talk about the fact that you are a Black artist in a predominantly white city and I think that's also a really big reason why when you performed at that open mic and the song you performed I was just like oh crap like it was just in your face very bold and as a person who does activism I was like yes freaking tear it all down and tell us about it and be vulnerable and honest and talk about the crap we have to deal with in this this city that you know Austin is the number one relocation city in the world and so, so many people are moving here and it's, you know, Round Rock is the fastest growing city in the country right now. And I think so many people are moving here and, you know, from an activist standpoint of like, yeah, we want more people to move here, but then also like we have to talk about affordability and the police problem and all that sort of stuff. So I just want to know like what sort of influence that has had on you the last seven years of, you know, watching your career really like starting to take off. I think, um, uh... I've always been mindful of uh, different audiences, if you will. You know, I think that, um, you know, you want to make, you want to make good, you, you want to make a good product, you want to make good music, of course. <laughs> you want to, if you shoot a movie, you want to make a good movie. But at the same time, you want to know who your, um, who your niche crowd or audience might be too. You don't want to, um, you don't want to alienate certain people. You know, but you also don't, it's not catch all music where everyone can just like, this is for me. Right. And so um, because of that, you know, like you said, like I first, when I first started actually writing, um, you know, I was about 10 years old and I had uh, two brothers 
And so I had like, they were my audience. They were my first audience, you know? So I had to um, come up with stuff that they found impressive enough, you know? And it took time. It wasn't until maybe I was like, you know, 16 or so or 17, maybe that I heard my brother being like, all right, cool. You're, you're actually nice. You, you know what I'm saying? You're, you're uh, you know, you're very, you know, I, these are nice bars, or this is a nice verse. So you're very talented. Like, let's see what else we got, you know? And so, um, even then, when I was younger, when I was, I think, 12, I lived in Hamilton and uh, I went to this Catholic school and everybody, it was just, yeah, it was, it was like a, almost like a, yeah, it was like a private school, private Catholic school. But, you know, I could rap and I would rap in a schoolyard and these kids had never seen somebody like rap live, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so they were so fascinated by just the idea of rapping. So I was mindful of that audience, you know, so I, I would come up with some things and write things that they would digest, you know, in their way. And that I would still be my message, if you will, even though it was, you know, back then it was a little way more simple. But um, when I was in college, I had a mixtape in college that was um, very relatable to, you know, some of the things that I was doing when I was in college. And so um what brings me, which brings me to Austin, um, you know, beyond like, I, I just think that I approach it, I approach music and writing in a way where I am trying to say something that is very consistent, but everyone should be able to digest the message, right? It's not to say that it's watered down or it's just digestible. And mm-hmm. so when you say, you know, at the, at the open mic thing, you know, that's just something that I, that I often write about things that I, uh, and I see and I experience. And so it's not so, uh, you know, my perspective might be unique, but it's not so unfamiliar that if you say it to somebody in song form, they're going to be like, Oh, I, I didn't know this was going on, you know? And so, uh, at the open mic in particular, it was a very white crowd. Right. And so, if I'm speaking about racial issues, it's not like I'm, I'm talking about it in a way where, hey, everybody in the crowd, y'all are villains. Mm-hmm. It's just a narrative. You're just telling a story about like, yeah, this is how things are going on or societal issues. It doesn't have to be racial issues, but any kind of like issue, it's not to say like, hey, this person's a villain. And it's also not to, I also don't approach it in a way where I, uh, I don't want to sound preachy or like, I don't want to sound like a teacher. You know, I'm, I'm, I, these things are not beneath me. I'm existing in the same system that everyone else is. And so if we all just look at it the same, we all look at it different ways, but we are still looking at the same thing. It's up to you as an artist or a writer, or, you know, even if you're an article, you write articles, you shoot movies or any kind of like storyteller, it's up to you to frame the story in a way that's digestible, but not, uh, you know, not exclusive. So I think uh, that just being able, teaching myself how to, perform to different people, write songs that many people would be able to relate to um, is why I'm still comfortable. You can put me in a room full of white folks and I'm still comfortable because the story, the the narrative is consistent um, and people are going to enjoy it because they understand what I might be talking about, but this is just coming from a different perspective. Yeah. And like I said, I do activism work a lot and like diversity, equity, inclusion work. And you're really speaking to me right now because 
a lot of the time it is just giving perspective. Like sometimes I might be the only black woman that they'll talk to in like a month and just being able to not give myself humanity, but just to be like, I'm not here to preach at you. I'm here to give you perspective and an opportunity to learn and take things in. And I think that's what your music did, especially for me that night of just like, I think, like you said, like Kate Cuddy and Charles Gambino and you as well, like you take issues, but you give it in a way that like, isn't preachy or too rough, I guess is the way I want to say it is like, it is, you are talking about difficult things, but in a way that like anybody can digest and take in. And I think that is very masterful, especially in a predominantly white city in a predominantly white space, like that one we were at. And I just want to know like what your writing process is like when you do sit down to, to get all this stuff, like sort of out of you. Yeah. So I, um, excuse me, I, it's almost as if I'm always writing. So in my mind, I'm all, I'm always thinking about writing almost. And so from time to time, I might write, jot things down. Excuse me. I might jot a few things down here and there. And um, over time, all these different observations I made or things, things that I've jot down now become, like now you can piece that into a verse, if you will, you know. Um, there's that. There's also sometimes where I, I tell myself, all right, today, you know, I'm, I'm feeling inspired. I, I wake up, I sit down to my desk. I, I sit down at my desk and I start writing. You know, I, I might write four or five verses and I'll be like pages of just, you know, things. And then my point is like, if I'm writing five pages at one moment, the, the feeling and the emotion I have at that moment is going to be consistent, you know? So it's going to be, it's going to go in and out of the same subjects, subject matter at, at least. And then sometimes, um, you know, I, uh, I listen to beats. I listen to like, I'll be listening to like, it might be a song that already exists or I'll be listening to, like other instrumentals. And then that inspires me to make music off that, you know? And so there's just many different ways, I think, that I approach it because it's like, I don't want to make it seem as if, you know, it's just, it comes, it kind of comes easy to me. It's almost like it comes like breathing, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like, it's just, I'm always thinking in that way. You know, like sometimes, matter of fact, I've been trying to write a, a, in a journal just like a you know just like write in a journal just almost 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 as if I'm writing memoirs or or something like that and even when I do that I find it difficult to not write in rhyme form right so because it's almost I'm so it's so conditioned to me and so my writing process is just ongoing and so that's why it's very observational Cause it's ongoing. I, I'll write about things, you know, I'll be at the airport and I see things that, that stand out to me and I write about it. Or I might, you know, I might, I might be people watching at a park or something and I, I'll see something that inspires me. And from that, that's how, that's how I guess, I guess, I guess I get inspiration from, you know, life, you know, from, I guess art imitates life is how they say. So mm-hmm. maybe it's life imitates art, but either way, you know, that's my writing form. And so, um, because of that, I don't, I, I never envisioned running out of material. You know, I'm always writing. And like I said, like I've, I've released four albums since I moved here, you know, um, I've released five albums since I graduated college. And that was in like 2015, I think 2014. So 
um, yeah, I just, I'm always, it's always going, if that makes sense. My mind is always working. Um, but um, that's, it's, the writing is like an outlet because if my mind is always going and I'm not writing, then it's just, it's too much, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's almost like a, it's almost like it can cause anxiety to think all the time like that, you know, so, like sometimes I need to like tell myself to like stop thinking. But um, thankfully, I'm able to write and I have an outlet to be like, all right, everything I'm thinking about, I can put it on paper, then I can put it on uh, on a track and then and then it's music. So, Yeah, we need to talk about five albums in like seven, ten years. That's I can't even like fathom that. Like Uh, and like you're saying, you, you are just always writing. But like, what was the process of getting albums out? Because I think right now obviously everyone's like waiting waiting for Rihanna's next album which we might never get but I think back to her when she first like came up like she released three four albums like almost like back to back every year and so I was like what's that process look like of just like cranking out projects yeah I um I wonder sometimes about the artists that are really you know very established um if if they feel like, you know, they no longer want to want to make music, mm-hmm. uh, for example, or maybe they something major has to happen for them to release music. Um, I don't I don't know how they work. Um, the way I work. Is, yeah, like I say, I'm always writing and I might be going through a phase in my life. That inspires me to be writing and then before you know it, you have enough for nine songs. So then you're like, all right, let me sit down and put together three more songs. Now you have an album. You have mm-hmm. 12 songs or you have, you know, 10 songs or whatever. Now you realize I have an album. And by the time you record, you you release that, you play a few shows, you you promote that here and there. You're you're already or at least I am. I'm already, I'm already writing more stuff, you know. And there might be mm-hmm. there might be some things that I had written that didn't make the last album. So, um when I first got out of college, uh, it was during the time that they had killed Mike Brown. And there was a, um, a lot of like demonstration going on in Ferguson. And so the first album I had was Black Hoodies. Uh, the first, I mean, I had mixed tapes in college, but that was a little different. So the first album I had was Black Hoodies and that was very, the emotion was very clear. You know, it's called Black Hoodies, right? So it's very much like the new, you know, I, I've always felt like Trayvon Martin was almost like the new Rodney King because mm-hmm. of now now we're able to record everything very clearly. So then you see Eric Garner, for example, then you see Mike Brown and so many other names, unfortunately. But it was very like it felt like a new it felt like a new civil rights type, um, at least um, a new civil rights like point of view almost. Mm-hmm. And so Black Hoodies was it was, it was, I was very inspired about like, yo, you know, what is going on? How, how does it directly affect me? But also like, what is my perspective on what's going on? Like, am I this, am I in this? Am I outside of this? So then when I moved to, but that was still in Dallas when I uh, recorded and released the majority of that album, wrote wrote and recorded the majority of the album. So then when I moved to Austin, that was a very personal time where I'm, I'm getting up and moving, you know, I'm, I'm in a new phase geographically. And so that creates almost like I'm in a new chapter in my life. So then uh, I wrote 
Austin City Lights, because I was very much like, all right, this is me in a new space, in a new era, trying to do my thing, you know. And then um, I released a double album. So that's funny because you talk about there's a lot of material, but I released uh, after, after Austin City Lights, I released something called Leopards Leap Must Not Weep, excuse me. That was a double album. And because that really, my inspiration there is because now I really felt like I was in the music career, you know? And I felt like with Leopards Leap, excuse me, honestly, my main muse was trying to show people that I can rap. You know, it was just really like a skill. Like I want to show that I, I can out rap most, if not all. And so that was Leopard Sleep. But when I, re- when I was done with that album, I felt like I can still do the melodic singing, smooth R&B style music. And so then I made Must Not Weep at the same time. So I, I released them both at the same time. So that was a double album. So that's, that's why it's four, right? Yeah, exactly. And then, and then post pandemic, I released another album because it was like music that I had put together in the times, you know, that we were inside, locked up inside. Well, give or take, I'm not gonna say locked up, but I don't wanna be too dramatic, but in the times that we were inside and then I released Shabani Smooth Sound in the summer. And that one's a little more, um, it's not as, the tones are not as serious, if you will. Like the, mm-hmm. the, uh, the subjects are not as, you know, <laughs> it's not a, it's not overly pensive, but it's still me. It's still gonna be, it's still gonna be some serious subjects. So, um, so I don't know how to explain it. I just have, I feel like I have a lot to say, maybe too much to say sometimes. So that's why I'm able to just always write and, and crank out music. As a person who has a lot to say, I will not allow you to say that about yourself. So it's fine. Um, I also, I know you've been talking about like you were just saying like that tone shift and you know, that sort of like new civil rights era, like what, what era do you feel like you're in right now? And I feel like you said before, like you're kind of in this shift and, you know, we hear so much vulnerability in your music and yeah, I just want to know, like, where are you now? Like as this Austin shift is coming and, you know, I know you're going to be performing at South by which congrats. I'm like, so excited about that for you um but yeah like what is what does this era feel like for you and like where do you see yourself going um yeah so it's it's interesting because I you know I, I feel like I've always felt like many different things you know and I I think that honestly in general in America and maybe just in the west in general You'll notice, you'll hear, and I know you know this, but it's it's almost like black people have to speak different languages. You know what I'm saying? Like when they when they speak at home, they speak a certain way. And when they speak around just black people, we might speak a certain way. But when we're like in the office or at work and some kind of like, I don't know. Cult, some kind of establishment. Yeah, exactly. So um, and so the thing about me is I'm, I'm, I am, of course, a Black person, but I'm also an African person. My family is all from Congo. So you think about the code switching that I might have with my mom and then maybe with my cousins and then maybe with my Black friends that aren't African outside of the house, but then with when I'm, you know, if I'm at work or if I'm at a day job or, or whatnot. And so I do, I've always kind of had an identity thing as in like, who am I? Like, where do I exist? You know what I'm saying? Like, even when you, when you open up the podcast and it says like, oh, you know, Shabani is from Congo, France, Canada, and Texas. And it's like, man, where, where am I really from? You know what I'm saying? Like, am I, I'm Texan, right? But 
I'm still Canadian too. You know what I'm saying? So I'm still, I was born in France too. I got to say what's up to them. I got, I'm an African man. I carry African name. I got to shout out that. So I do, I've always felt like I've been working and dealing with many different identities, you know, and um, I've always felt like the one consistent thing in these different identities and maybe different languages I might be speaking is someone, someone that is part of the working class, like an immigrant that is part of the working class, you know, whether it be the middle or the lower working class, wherever I was, we were working class people. My family was right. So now that I feel like I, you know, I've worked tons of day jobs, you know, but now I'm a full-time musician. You know, I play shows all the time. I'm making music and it's, it's, it's a way it's how I make a living, how I pay for shit or things. Excuse me. You're, so, you're fine. You can swear. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the rules are. My bad. But uh, and so I I do feel like now I'm at a I've found who I am. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I I'm not to say like I you know I've always known who I was, but I'm saying like now I feel like I I'm a I'm a musician. I'm a working class musician, and I'm in a music city, and so things feel like they're falling in a place where like this is where this this is where I belong and I don't necessarily mean like this, this city is where I belong but I'm saying like this stage in my life is where I belong and so that's how I feel that's where I feel I am I don't even know if that's <laughs> if that's make if that's a, like a, a clear answer but uh but yeah that's how I feel I feel like uh I feel like I'm at a stage where I um I'm finding myself if you will yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. I think also like I just <clears throat> I just started working for myself full time. And so I think it's also that too of like once you figure out what your calling is and you get to just like do that thing, I feel like that's a, a definitely like an era that you're in of like I get to work for myself and do a thing that I love every day and report to myself and do all these things. I think, yeah, I definitely feel that shift a lot. Um, I also want to know what's it been like performing again, like now that the world is opening back up slash safely opening back up versus like, what was it like, like to do your first live show in Austin whenever that happened? Like what, what has been like that sort of shift as well of going from then to now? Yeah. So the thing about Austin is interesting. It's a live music, what is it? Live music capital of the world. Mm -hmm. what we like to call it and uh that's cool the thing is hip-hop is still growing in austin and it's cool because i've, I've witnessed it you know when I, when i first moved here the hip-hop scene it wasn't really like i don't know how to explain it it wasn't really like that like the the rap shows you would see in town would be touring artists like if if somebody that's huge or not huge but someone that's touring yeah you might you might get to see him at Mohawk or some mm-hmm. some nice venue, Empire, all that good stuff. But um, uh, in terms of like local artists doing things, it wasn't that, you know, you didn't see it that much. And then on top of that, still till today, it's hard to get shows in places if you're just a rapper with a DJ, for example, right? If you're just mm-hmm. a solo rapper, it's still difficult to book that. And so the first time I performed in Austin when I had moved here, um excuse me i want to say i don't i don't know if i even remember exactly where it was but it was you know it was just these small you know small bars will give you 20 minutes go up there do your thing 
you know, and it wasn't really like an environment that we have today. Today we had we have more of an environment where there's a bunch of different artists doing things in Austin, playing shows, doing, you know, making moves. Um, and you can see, at least I can feel the growth hip hop wise in Austin. So how that relates to me is during the pandemic, there was a bunch of artists that were, or musicians really, that were without work, you know, like didn't really have a place to play and perform because everything was shut down. So what I finally was able to do, able to do, which I had been trying to do for a long time, but what I was finally able to do was put together like a, a, um, a, a band, like an actual consistent, the same musicians and the same, if not the same musicians, but the same pieces on stage. I was able to create this, put together uh, this band and practice often. So because people weren't playing that many shows. And so because we got to practice often before our first show, the first show was, it wasn't, it was live stream. So it wasn't even like a show show. Mm -hmm. So we played two live streams where you could see the band. There was a product was created. You could hear it. You can enjoy it. You can watch it. You know what I'm saying? And then, then when things started opening, I had the product already. And so now it was like, I, right, it's not just solo rapper because it's tough to book solo rappers in Austin still. It's uh, it's an artist. It's an artist with a with a whole five piece band, and so now that's how I was able to start getting booked. That like for example, breweries that want they want you to come perform for two hours. I create. We were able to, we were able to put together a product that now now I get to do the the breweries, and then once I start to do a, a bunch of different stages in Austin, because there's a lot of stages in Austin, but they're not going to book a bunch of rappers. That's just how it is. But once you're able to show the product, like you know, get your foot into the door. Mm -hmm. Then you're going to, then I started getting booked all over, all, all over the city, all over town, you know? So then it's now it's because we were able to put something together when like the world was idle, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Once it opened up, it was like a new beginning. Cause now it's like, all right, now I play here, I play here, I play here. And once you start playing, which I, which I did one, once I started doing all the venues in Austin, now I get to start playing out of town. I can go to Fort Worth in a little bit. I can go to, I have a show in Fort Worth coming up. I, I can play out of town. I can play. And you know what I'm saying? Because now they see like, oh, you played this many shows. And I had always played a bunch of shows, but the venue, the quality of the venues wasn't the same for rappers. It's just like mm -hmm. that. But, but once you're able to get into the right venues is when you start climbing in the right way. And it's tough to even get to that point for rap music in Austin. Because like you mentioned before, it's, it's, I mean, this is a pretty white city. And so even though people love hip hop, like the, the truth is people, you know, it's the most popular form of music in the world, but booking agents are not there yet. They're still in the past, you know? And so um, what they, what they will see though, is that like, ah, right, damn, okay. So you play in all these different places. Oh, I bet. All right. So we'll book you for this. Cause clearly it's popping over there. But in terms of you just showing up and be like, yo, I'm a rapper, me and my DJ, let me get a show. That's tough. They 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 would let a nobody, like a nobody country artist. I'm not nobody's not a good word, but like a, a country artist that doesn't have that money, that that hasn't played that many shows. Mm -hmm. They would let a nobody country artist into the door, no question. But a nobody rapper that's like, nah, I'm not even gonna think about that. What do you think but that is? Because they don't think they I think that they like the old school booking agents. Um have a a 
a negative but also incorrect perception of what live hip hop is like. Mm. It, I, I think it's true that some live rap artists are very bad. Like some, 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 some of the world's favorite rap artists are very bad when they do it live. That's just mm. the truth. And sometimes if you see, for example, some of these artists that might be popping, if you see them on tour, often they don't even perform their lyrics. They're just playing the music and they're, they're jumping on, on the song because the crowd loves the music already. Hmm. However, however, I think that when hip hop is performed live correctly, I personally believe that it's the best form of music because it's very clear lyrics that you're very clearly hearing and you're very clearly watching it be performed. And so if you need to have a band to get your foot into the door, once you get on stage and you shut it down, then it's undeniable. And that's what happens. That's when the book and agents are like, all right, damn, come back. We'll give you a residency because the people love that because the people in Austin are hungry for hip hop music. You go to these breweries that play music and it's just background music. It's always just like some band playing in a bat. It's not, it's almost never compelling. It's just live music. We have live music. Cool. It's just some dude in the back, somebody doing covers. But when you go up there with compelling hip hop and R&B music, the most popular form of music in the world, it turns heads. And that's how you get, you know, traction. And so um, I forgot what you asked. I feel like I went on a tangent. No, no, that was good. That's totally fine. Um, What do you think needs to like happen and shift in order for things to get to be different for hip hop artists? And like you're saying, maybe it's just more people being open to the idea of booking. But like you just said, the fact that you had to think of a way to make your sound more compelling by having like a full band like what what kind of shift do you think needs to happen i think uh the first thing that they need to do is get in the habit of booking hip-hop only shows like that's not to say like other forms of music are great shout out to everybody else but i'm saying like it's often where they'll, they'll take a they'll have like a two indie bands and the opener will be a rapper because it's like, okay, we got a stage for you. Mm. And so sometimes it doesn't translate well. And so, excuse me, these venues need to realize that there's a lot of good live hip hop in Austin. And so I think the first step is they need to get in the habit of booking hip hop shows. And I, I just got done playing Free Week uh, in January. And so Free Week's been going on for a while. Uh, this year it came with a bang because it's post pan well, post restrictions of the pandemic mm-hmm. and so uh and so they uh, they had a few hip-hop stages they had them at a few different spots and a lot of people were there but i remember when i first moved to austin there was a free week also um that was 2015 it was hard to find hip-hop mm. and uh there was they had some scattered around but it was just not like it wasn't you know what i'm saying it wasn't popping like that i'm not mm-hmm. explaining it, but it just wasn't like left and right and it's interesting how music in Austin is left and right, right? If you go anywhere, you'll see live music, right? So step one, music is everywhere. Step two, hip hop is the most popular form of music in the world. So why is it hard to find hip hop in a music city? Mm-hmm. So the step I think that they can do to fix this is, um, is have hip hop nights. But the second issue that I think is a problem with a lot of these uh, venues, they don't listen to the artists. Like, Someone will be like, yo, can I play a show there? And I don't think they often listen to the music. They're just like, all right, where have you played? 
how many people can you bring in? How much are you expecting? So it's like, listen to the music. So then you can put together good lineups. There's been mm-hmm. a few shows that I played in Austin where I put together the lineup where it's like, all right, this person's going to match and that person's going to match. I want these two uh, people on the lineup and then boom, it's lit. But um, I just feel like what 2020 taught us is that we are headed into the future, right? Mm-hmm. Like people, half, if not most people no longer work at an office, for, for example, yeah. right? There's a bunch of new like uh, services in terms of, you know, if I want to rent a car, I can rent it from a person, right? Rather than rent it from rent it from Avis, for example. And now if I want to order food, a dude can run that to me. And, you know, if I need to have a conversation with my grandma who's in London, for example, I can FaceTime off WhatsApp with ease. Hmm. And so I know I'm talking about like technology, but what I'm saying is that it has amplified that we have been doing things the wrong way for too long. And so I think booking agents and Austin, well, music venues need to realize they also likely have been doing some things the wrong way for too long. And so that's what we need to do is like a changing of the guard to get more hip hop played in Austin because uh, the people, I'm telling you right now, the people want it. When people see live hip hop, they're like, damn, I did not expect uh, a hip hop band to be here today. And now I really like this artist and I like this, this venue. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep coming back to the spot because now I know that I can run into hip hop here, which I did not expect to see in this city. I don't know. I'm like, I got to go look up all the hip hop artists in Austin. Cause I, that's, that's a thing too. Right. Like I know, like, I know you now and a friend of mine, um, she's actually the one who made my theme song. Mama Duke is here, but I feel yeah. like you're all the only two, I really know. And like, that's music I enjoy, but it's like you, if you're, if like in Austin, if you're not looking for it, you won't find it, which is so frustrating. Cause it's like, you're yeah. saying it's everywhere. Yeah. It's uh yeah. It's this this thing. I mean, uh, it used to feel cool. It used to feel cool. Cause I felt like I was part of a underground genre mm-hmm. in Austin. You know, I was like, I was at these hip hop shows, these hip hop meetings. It was only like the real, like, you know, fans was that like, you know, it's just us. Uh, it's just like this movement that's here. But now it is time to publicize this movement and get us on good stages. You know what I'm saying? Like get us, Blues on the Green should, it, it, it's wild to me that they, they've been having Blues on the Green. And I think this last summer was the first time they had rap music there. And it's like, how? Give us one stage. People yeah. like hip hop. I don't know what. You know what I'm saying? Like, why, why are we behind? And, you know, you know, I don't want to. I mean, yeah, I just. Uh, I think in the history. Like American history in general, and I don't want to get too. Well, it doesn't matter. Uh, I think American history in general has been um, they're always delayed when it mm-hmm. comes to appreci- appreciating black art. Mm-hmm. But it's still art is good art is good art or art is art you know what i'm saying like if something is good it's going to be discovered and so hip-hop there was a time where people thought hip-hop was a fad and now it's the number one form of music in the world you know and um i'm sure that was the same thing with rock and roll it was not you know it was inappropriate you know it was don't play it here don't play it there that's that's that negro music that's not going to be played here and then 50 years later you have the beatles on crazy tours and so it's like well that's like uh, you're saying like 
people catching up. I was like every a, a lot of the music that is popular now is popular because of black people. And I think about the same with hip hop. Like we see how big Eminem got. Right. And it was like, he's white. We see like the, the Jack Harlow's. We see like all of these white artists who are able to do hip hop and rap and it's fine. But it's like, this came from black people. And like, I don't know. I just feel frustrated in that sense of like, we create all this good stuff, but if we are the ones performing it, it's not like quote good enough. Yeah. I think, um, I think some corporate, I don't know. I think some businesses feel like, uh, I think often businesses feel like things can't be sold. Like it's not, it's, it's not selling if mm. white people don't, if white people don't buy it, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm not, it's not even, you know, I'm not, even, I'm not trying to sound like I have animosity, but I feel no, like that's sure. like the, the, the marketing mentality of some of these businesses. It's like, if they're not getting sales from, you know, this many, this many white people, then it's not selling. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so when these, a black form of art might come out or even like a black TV show might pop, and it's regarded as a black show rather than like a sitcom because who's watching it? You know what I'm saying? Like I, and so, you know, it's the difference with, you know, you know, I'm not like, why, why is, why is friends this giant success, but Martin is a black show, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like, and you know, but then you have like, What's the other show with uh, Bill Cosby? Bill Cosby's huge hit, the, mm. show, the Cosby Show, was a huge hit. Well, that's because white people were watching that. That's almost how they measure it. It's like mm-hmm. so. Um, even when it came to like black movie superstars, you know, we had Will Smith, you know, and now you're seeing it a little bit more. But before it was like, it's almost like they would, the, the corporation would say, "I'm not racist. It's just that when I use a black superstar, it doesn't sell." Mm. So, so why am I going to, you know, why, why am I going to do this? I'm trying to mm-hmm. make sell some tickets. And so, uh, but now, you know, I, I think some things are changing a little bit. Um, but um, because that's what these corporations might have thought. And so if you make an example of Get Out, like Get Out came out, mm-hmm. all black cast, right? Well, no, it, was on, it wasn't all black cast, but it was, you know, black director, black, black star. Um, and it was a huge success. So now these corporations are like, oh, snap, we didn't know that we could sell black people. You know what I'm saying? And so right. that's what's going on. That's just a, that's a, you know, if we talk about rock and roll and we talk about hip hop and then we talk about Hollywood and movies, mm-hmm. if we make like a, 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 a minor version of that in Austin, it's what, I think that's what's going on is that these yeah. venues were like, oh, we, we didn't even know we could sell hip hop. Right? We didn't know people were going to buy these tickets if we had hip hop lineups. And now they're seeing that like, oh, shit, it's popping. And so now you're going to start seeing you know, a progression, I think, in the mentalities of, of the city. I hope so. I was like trying to think, I'm like, I hope so. I, but I yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like a, you know, I, I, I like to think that I, I might mention some of the ills of the world a lot often. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't mean to be a downer, but I do, I am optimistic. I do believe that there is a, like things change for the better, the further we go into time is what I think. And so, um, yeah, I do think things are moving, things are changing, and I feel like I'm a direct effect of this, so. Yeah, well, when you have another show or create a lineup, let me know, because I want to go. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. 
Um, well, I thank you so much for chatting with me today. Is there anything you want to plug before we get out of here? Uh, no, I mean, South yeah, by I'm going to, I'm going to link all your stuff in the show notes. So don't worry. <laughs> South by Southwest is coming up. So I'll be there. I don't have all my dates yet, but I will have a few days. So yeah, if y'all are in the city, y'all, y'all check that out. Um, yeah. David Shabani, Spotify. I, David Shabani, Instagram, you know, the vibes. I got a lot, like we talked about, I have a lot of music. So go a check lot, it out. A lot of music. <laughs> um, uh, and that's, that's it. That's, that's it for me. Well, at the end of every episode, I like to ask my guests a final question. And that question is, what is the best advice you were ever given? Or what is a piece of advice you would give to your younger self? Okay. Well, a piece of advice I would give to my younger self is it's never that bad. Whatever that you're going through, when you get past that and you look back at it, it's never that bad. It was, it's just go through it. It might be inconvenient or unpleasant for the time being, but it's temporary. It's never going to be that bad. And it's, it's never as, as bad as your mind might make, your mind, your mind might want to make it. So just remember that it's never that bad. You're going to get through it. You'll be all right. But this is me talking to my younger self. So I don't know about y'all. I'm not trying to tell y'all to no, no, no. take my advice, but um, <laughs> that's how I feel. Uh, well, thank you. That's it. This week's episode of The Tea with Bree. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at The Tea with Bree. Send me an email at theteawithbree at gmail.com and visit the website, theteawithbreepodcast.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or we get your podcast. A special thanks to Mama Duke for our theme music. And I'll talk to y'all next week. Bye.